Hi, welcome to the Chronic Slippers and People Who Sponsor Them workshop. My name is Meg and I am a compulsive eater. Hi, everybody. I have to start with a little announcement and it's going to affect some people here. Uh, For the miking situation, our mic bleeds into the next door and so it's been turned down. So we're asking everybody move up as close as they possibly can. Can we ask that and get the, the chairs filled up as close as possible so that um, we can share this mic space with the next-door neighbor? No, no. If you just, if you just come closer, uh, the people that are in behind, if they would just move as close as they can up, then we'll be sharing this airspace a little bit better. Okay. Thanks. Okay. I'm going back to script. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, so before we get started, these are some things to remember. We ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment be turned off. This session is being taped, and anyone wishing to share will be required to sign the speaker release form before sharing. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An ASCIT basket is up here, and we'll pass that around, be circulating for questions and answers, uh, the question and answer portion of this session. If you enjoy the workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to order copies of this session and other sessions. They're available on CD or as an electronic download. And for those who are coming in, I'm asking, and it looks like you're doing a great job of coming close as possible, please, as close as possible. It's a miking situation. We need to get as close as possible to keep the microphone low and so that our next-door neighbors aren't interrupted by this mic. Okay, So those coming in, please come as close as possible. Thank you. Okay, the format of this session is as follows. Our speaker will speak for as long as she wants. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. (laughs) But we have only one speaker, and she's fabulous. And so um, we really don't have a limit really on the time. I think she did a really great job of moderating her her timing. So um, it, it probably will be more than 20 minutes. And followed by 10 minutes of questions and answers if possible, or... Last time we did the Ask It Basket, and that really took up the whole session. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. And where I think I got the impression we will do what the group conscience wants. If you want to come up and and, uh, ask or speak, you have to sign to do that. That's fine. Or if we just use the Ask It Basket um, and use those questions, that worked. But we'll be flexible. How about that? Okay, and first I need to ask a volunteer who would be willing to, to begin us with the, reading the 12 steps. Volunteer, thank you.
Hi, I'm Nancy, a gratefully recovering compulsive reader. Hi, Nancy. Hi, everybody. The 12 steps. Like, I need to look at the script here. Okay, one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our lives and our will over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects, defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And one last pitch, if there was anybody that didn't hear it, we're asking everybody to move up, up as close as possible for miking purposes, okay? Thank you. Now, it is my extreme pleasure to um, introduce Sheila, who is our speaker today. And the topic of this session is chronic slippers. And we're, you're blessed to be in those seats, I just want to let you know. So, thank you, Sheila. <laughs> very much. Oh, that's great. Okay. Very good. Yep. Yep. Um, um, yeah, this is really exciting. Now we're going to talk about, hello? Hello? Yeah, no, you caught me right in the middle. Uh-huh. Oh, sure. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's so cute. I, um, all right. So what we're going to talk about now is this, the way that I sponsor people and the, the things that I found that have been very, very successful for, for being of service to people who are chronic slippers. And again, keeping in mind that if somebody comes to me and works with me and they've only been here for five years, that's a short amount of time. That's, that's a short amount of time. Usually by the time somebody gets to me, something really bad is going to happen if they don't stop eating. Something really bad is going to happen. And, um, Again, I've, yeah, and I'm not leaving things out here because we're recording, but chat with me after the meeting, and I can just share some things with you, but just suffice it to say there's a lot of pain in the rooms of of Overeaters Anonymous, and people punish themselves, and I did it for years, and so certainly really understand that that behavior, but there's just a lot of pain out there, right? So those are are the people who, who are in my wheelhouse. So if somebody asks me to sponsor them, I, I say, I, if I'm available. I have a certain number of spots, and I would love to do more, and my sponsor actually will, will put the kibosh on it for me and say, no, no more sponsors, sponsees until you finish with these ones. That's why I take people through the steps of the book, two, three, four months. You know, I did just finish with somebody. It took six months. Um, but he had a lot of amends to make, and he had a lot of amends to make. And he was from, you know, AA, so he had a lot of amends to make. But, um, but uh, um, 
it, you know, we go through the steps, and then I lovingly encourage them to go get another sponsor. That is, my time, our time is done together in terms of you having a regular call time and a call slot because I want to sponsor as many people as possible, and I want somebody, especially after they've take, I've taken somebody through the steps. I don't, I wouldn't call myself a strong personality. I know people have said that about me. I'm not what I would call a strong personality. Here's what I am: is I'm clear. I'm very clear. And I'm a regular meditator. I do the stuff that we do here, and you get real clarity. It's very, very powerful. So I know what I know what I know, right? And what I don't know, I'm, I'm always open to, to new information from sponsors, to be inspired by God, to be inspired by you, people in the rooms, all that stuff. But I feel very clear about what's working, and I feel very comfortable communicating that. So once somebody has been with me for three, four months, and we've gone through the steps in the book, Go hear what someone else has to say now, right? This is not a personality-driven program, right? There are no authorities here. Nobody's got a handle on anything. People have experience, and that's valuable. And, but you've taken advantage of my experience for three, four months. Now go hear you know, what Barbara has to say, right? Go hear what uh, Toby has to say. Go find out what Meg has to say. You know, here, we ta- let someone else take you through. Maybe they'll take you through different literature, Right? So, so that's a, a wonderful thing. So, yes, once, once the time has moved on, then, then I'm complete with somebody. But, but the first – so if I have a slot available, I have a slot available. If I don't, I still say to somebody, I say, call me. Let's have a conversation. Maybe somebody that I sponsor. People will say, oh, can you have somebody sponsor me? You know, who, who can you refer me to? I don't refer people to sponsors, right? I don't do that. It's not, it's not that interesting. What's more interesting is that you would be in your world and find someone in your meetings or on your phone meeting or however you're doing this. Um, uh, you know, find someone who resonates for you. Remember, if you're drowning, anybody can save you. Get out of the water and get in a boat. It's not about having the right sponsor. There is no such thing. Now, are there some people that perhaps we will resonate with more and feel more comfortable with and have similar experience? Well, of course. But you're not limited to that. That's not what's going to save you. What's going to save you is surrendering. And sometimes really... Struggling in a sponsorship relationship, you know, as long as somebody does what they say they're going to do, they're there when they're, you know, we set up our call time and stuff. Sometimes I can actually learn more from those relationships, you know, I really can. And anytime I've got a problem with you, it's about me anyway, always. You know, I remember in my first uh, six months of sobriety, I made the mistake of telling uh, my sponsor that I didn't like this one particular person at the meeting. I didn't like this guy at the meeting. And my sponsor said, hmm, and that's a regular meeting for you, isn't it? And I said, it is. I wish so-and-so didn't go there anymore. And my sponsor said, well, I'll tell you what, sunshine. Why don't you, why don't you sit next to that person? Why don't you sit next to him for the next six months? That's direction. Right? And, of course, at the end of that six months, I, I was in love with that guy. He was great. He was wonderful. He became a good friend of mine in program because it's never about you. It's about me, right? Bless you, change me. So, um, so at any rate, so, somebody, so I got a spot available and somebody approaches me, asks me to sponsor them or they call me or whatever, and I say, yeah, sure. Read Working with Others, Chapter 7, and pay special attention to the paragraph at the top of page 96. 
and then write on that for 15 minutes and then give me a call. So let me read that paragraph. So it's the paragraph at the top of page 96. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. So again, remember I've told him to read that chapter and write on that paragraph for 15 minutes and then call me tomorrow. I always say call me tomorrow because it's really interesting to see whether somebody's done. Because if somebody's really done, they're going to do that. You know, there's a buddy of mine in program, and he says, when he came in the room, he said, if his sponsor had told him, if you want recovery, I need you to be at my house tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. with a toilet bowl cleaner and a bottle of pine saw and clean my toilets in my six-bedroom house, he said, I would have been there. I would have been there at 645. Because he was done, right? So, and again, I don't necessarily draw any conclusions if somebody takes five days to do it. But that's not going to keep up. That's not how I roll when I do this. And again, these are not my good ideas. You know, Bill and Ebby worked what amounted to the first eight steps of the program in December of 1934 while Ebby was sitting on the side of Bill's bed. And the only reason they didn't work step nine is because Bill needed to get out of bed and go apologize to those people. Right? So it doesn't take a long time. And we move with real alacrity. And again, because it also, it's kind of, it, it, it shocks the system almost to get you thinking about something else and to see how quickly God will come in and solve your problem if you get moving. That has been my experience, and all I can do is sponsor you from my experience. That's what has worked very well for me is to really get moving. So I get people moving. So they'll write on that, that paragraph, and inevitably somebody will say something where they think, they're going to talk about and they're going to jump on this that um, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you, right? And they get really scared and afraid of that and want to say mean stuff to themselves about that. Obviously, I've never said to anybody, you know, it's a waste of time working with you. Of course I don't say that. Of course not. But what I tell people is that how that reads to me is that my job is to work with people who are done. I didn't say done with the food. I said done with good ideas, with their own good ideas running the show. That's what I'm talking about. You've got to give me the work, right? You've got to give me something. Abstinence and the work, ideally, but if nothing else, you've got to give me the work. And if you don't want to do that, I'm not, you're not in the right boat. And the reason I know you're not in the right boat is because then I'm going to start thinking, well, maybe I don't want to do the work. Maybe I don't want to do all the stuff that my sponsor wants me to do. I do more today than I did when I came in here. 
I, I go to a meeting just about every day. All my sponsees go to a meeting a day, by the way. But hang on. Let's, let me stay where I am, and I'll tell you that. But, uh, you know, I have five commitments at five meetings, and I'm not trying to tell you that to impress you. I'm trying to impress upon you that I realize this requires, this is my primary purpose. And this is what it's requiring of me right now. I don't know if it'll always be this way. I don't know if it'll be this way if the, the show goes forward, if I get into the doctoral program. I'm a, you know, I don't know if this will always be this way, but right now in my life, this is what I do. So I, I, all I can do is sponsor from my experience. So then they read that paragraph, right? They read that chapter, read that paragraph, write on that paragraph, and then I say, okay, cool, let's get going. Oh, first half, let me tell you, little new sponsee of mine, how, what goes on with all of my sponsees. So for the two or three months or four months or five months or six months or however long we end up doing this, however long it takes you to get through this, all my sponsees go to a meeting a day, all of them. And since I'm going to six to eight meetings a week, there's not a lot of room for them to argue there. And again, it's not about arguing anyway. It's not about this is the right way or this is the only way. No, this is what I've found from my experience will be really useful for you. I wish that my sponsor had directed me in this way. I do. I do. But I got what I needed. But now I give something different to people, and it's helped enough people that I get it that this, is, this, is the really, this really works. It's almost like they can pretend they're in treatment. You know, pretend you're in treatment, <laughs> right? And you're not checking in with mommy. And I'm not a drill sergeant. And I'm not a bitch. I'm clear. And there will be lots of love. Nobody who's ever been sponsored by me says, like, oh, she's scary, this. But there are people, you know, I've led meetings, and after the share, people would be like, oh, my God. One woman shared right after a meeting, she said, oh, my God, I would never be sponsored by you. And I thought, well, okay, all right. Well, that kind of hurts, kind of. But then she went on to say how much she wished she could. Yeah, I mean, she just said some really nice stuff. But her first response was, you are scary. I've had big, grown men, big, you know, football, NFL football player-sized men say, like, you're scary. Really? So are you, kind of. <laughs> but it's, that's just a ruse. That's the nonsense. What it is is clear. And when you're in the sugar, right, or you're in the food, and you're in everything that goes with that, the denial, the lying, the insanity, it, it is scary when somebody's clear. I get that. And it, sometimes it feels harsh or it feels um, off-putting. I understand that. I do. I, I do. I get it. Yep, I do. But, again, by the time people get to me, they've heard enough. People know my stuff. My stuff's out there. So people have listened to stuff. They know it. They know how, I, they know how this is going to go. So they're, they're in. People don't cut and run at that point. So then I say, okay, so now let's do the, the step one chapters of the book. You're going to read a chapter a day, right? So you're going to be reading and writing every day. You're going to be sending me an email at night. And you're going to be telling me what meeting you went to that day. You're going to be writing yes or no if you were abstinent that day. We'll talk about what you want for your abstinence and slash food plan, how we're going to do that. We have that conversation. Um, You're going to uh, tell me what literature you read. Unless I'm giving you a chapter specifically, 
which most of the time it will be a chapter and then it evolves to paragraphs and different things depending on where we're at in the step stuff. Um, otherwise, we'll get you, you know, when you're working on your four-step, for instance, you'll be reading two pages at a time of the four-step material over and over again for the week or two week it takes you to do your four-step. But you're going to be reading literature every day. You're going to be writing for 15 minutes every day. You're going to be meditating every day. So no, it doesn't matter that you're not on the 11th step. We're going to get you meditating. Sitting down, sitting quietly would be good for you at this point. It's good for all of us, right? But meditation is not a tool you want to miss. I remember a guy saying to me once, if you, or he was a speaker speaking at a big meeting, and he said, if you, let, if you leave before you've started working an 11th step on a regular basis, you've left before the miracle, right? And that's not only the meditation, but praying only for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry that out, but we'll talk about that when we get to 11. But, um, so you're going to be meditating on a daily basis. You're going to be making three live outreach calls or six message calls or any combination of those, right? So then we're going to figure out how good my sponsee is with math, okay? Because, right, because it's either three live calls where you've reached somebody, hey, Barbara, it's Sheila making an outreach call from OA. Is this a convenient time for you? I always teach people to do that on an outreach call. Ask if it's a convenient time for the person, right? And then they're either going to say yes or no. And if they say no, they'll usually apologize. And I say, don't apologize. That's why I asked. Mm That's how it works. (laughs) No problem. And I'm glad that you know how to take care of yourself. You're going to be somebody I'm going to call back because that tells me that you know how to take care of yourself and you can teach me how to do the same. Great, right? So, um, uh, and that would count as a call if somebody answers live, but otherwise you leave a message. And six message calls or any combination, right? Two live, two message, one live, four message, right? And leave your phone number twice. Make it easy for people, right? Because the deal is somebody's doing this. This is so cool this weekend. Somebody's doing a workshop here on the we, right? The first step of the... um, of the, you know, the program, first step of step one, first word of step one, we. And we want to get that stuff down because, remember, I work, for the pe- I work with the people who are really in a lot of pain. Something really bad is going to happen. Something really bad is going to happen. And don't kid yourself. It's not just in Alcoholics Anonymous. I know somebody who put a gun in her mouth and blew her head off because she couldn't stop eating Snickers bars. And I heard her pitch about it on a Tuesday, and she did it on a Thursday. Right? And she was young. She was in her 20s. Right? And the only way I found out about it is I called her for an outreach call. And uh, her daddy answered the phone. He'd come down to her apartment and answered the phone and sobbed as he told me what happened. Right? I get it. So those, you know, those are my people. So we get moving really quickly. So they're going to read chap- Bill's story. And we're going to focus when you do read Bill's story. You read that chapter and write on it for 15 minutes. You call me and write. Um, you're going to read it to me. And my sponsees all know that it'll be a 15-minute phone call. And I always tell them that if your call slot is at 8 o'clock to 8.15, if you call me at 8 o'clock, we talk for 15 minutes. If you call at 8.05, we talk for 10. If you call me at 8.10, we talk for 5. And if you keep that up, I'm going to lovingly let you go because you don't want what I have. And you're making that clear based on cutting into our time. And I really understand. Maybe this isn't the, the, the way of sponsorship for you. There's lots of different ways to do this. Let's find something else that works for you. Al-Anon teaches me how to not take things personally. Just like when that you know, woman came in at the other meeting and like, you're talking too loud. If I take things personally, it takes me out of the game. I'm then not available for you. It wasn't personal, right? 
So it's not personal if somebody says, you know, I don't really, and I've had sponsees say, you know, when they got pissed off, say like, you know what, I don't want what you have. I say, okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. Let me know if you want to be buddies or that's cool. Like I said, on my bad days, I don't want what I have. No problem, right? So um, when they look at the doctor's opinion, we talk about that allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And here's the thing that a chronic slipper probably doesn't get is they don't realize the whole allergy component of this. You know, I've got a sister who's allergic to cats. It's not like that sister is going to walk in a room and say, oh, this is a tabby cat. No, I'm fine with tabbies. Tabbies are okay. It's the Siamese cats. The calicos, those are the real problems. No, she's allergic to cats. If she walks into a room and there's a cat there, she's going to start schnotting and snorting all over you, right? She's allergic to cats. Most people here, I don't want to be in this part of the conversation for too long. Most people here have a problem with sugar. There, I said it. That's all I'm really going to say about food. Really, probably, I think. I don't know. Might get somewhere else. Right now, I'm in a phase, because I'm probably going through menopause, and and that's fine. It's going to be a non-issue. I'm just calling it good, right? Say it like a mantra. Say it like a mantra. But um, um, there's there's actually a lot of things I can't do in terms of my food plan. My abstinence now has grown and evolved to no sugar. Remember I told you it started out being honest? Well, now it's grown and evolved to no sugar. If I decide to have a piece of pie at this girl's bakery, right, I've lost my abstinence. My abstinence is no sugar. But my food plan is even more what feels like sometimes intrusive (laughs) into my world because there's a lot of things I can't have because I'm dealing with health issues and it's getting exacerbated by menopause. So right now, I don't know if it'll always be this way. I have a pretty good idea that I'm never going to be able to have a piece of sweet, delicious pie. That's probably never going to change. But don't cry for me, Argentina. I've eaten my quota of sugar. I've eaten yours and yours and his. I have. Like, for real. Don't feel bad about this. So that's probably not ever going to change. Am I ever going to be able to have flour, white flour, dairy? I mean, a doctor, doctors took me off dairy. So I don't know if that's going to change. I'm not worried about it. It's not going to change today. I know what I had for breakfast. I know what I'm having for lunch. I know what my husband's making me for dinner. He doesn't, but I'll let him know, right? So I know how this is going to go in terms of my eating right now, and that's all that matters. You know, I get very hopeful when I hear, and not because, oh, I want to eat this or that. I just get hopeful when I hear Barbara and other long-timers talk about, and we had our, our, our uh, keynote speaker at the birthday party in January um, last year. Come to our birthday party, by the way, in January. It's fun. It's a big party. But, um, you know, she too has, you know, like Barbara, has a kajillion years of abstinence, and she, you know, did a very rigid, you know, weighed and measured kind of a gray sheet type thing and has grown out of that. And I just think that's beautiful. It's just like, you know, it's a rose blooming. It's really cool. And if that happens for me, terrific. And if it doesn't, that's fine, right? I, I, food has, part of the nature of my eating disorder is that food's just got, it's got too big a place. It takes, it means too much to me. So the reality is, does it really matter if I show up for a birthday party and I, I can only choose 
four different items off the menu versus the 17 that are offered? No, it doesn't matter at all. Focus on my four. Children are going to bed hungry tonight. Do I really want to wail and gnash my teeth because I don't get to eat fried chicken and bonbons? No. 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 Right? So um, so it's, it's, it's not about the food. It's never about the food. So we get that on that doctor's opinion. I want to make sure people get that. And then when we get to Bill's story, I want to make sure people see all the different things that Bill tried. Bill tried lots of different things to try and find his way around um, alcoholism. And for us, it's, you know, it's the same thing with our eating disorder. Lots of different experiments. Taking trips, not taking trips, suicide, you know, you know got to end my life. You know, all the crazy stuff he tried. Hopelessness ended up working for Bill. It doesn't work for a lot of people. Let me tell you something. I know, I know stories, and I'm not saying it because we're recording, but I know stuff that I know a lot of people who are hopeless. I know people who aren't hopeless, and I wish to God they were. Right? So, um, but hopelessness doesn't work for everybody anyway. I mean, go to any skid row and around the world, and there are people who are killing themselves, and they're hopeless. They just won't die. That's the scary thing. You can't, you can't scare a compulsive eater. You can't scare an alcoholic. You can't scare a compulsive eater. You can't scare a bulimic. You can't scare an anorexic. They kind of scare me, though, but <laughs> they do. I just I don't know a lot about anorexia and bulimia, so I have to be careful. I did for the first time. I just started sponsoring a woman who's bulimic. I just sometimes think you know that that is better served by somebody. But she's she can hear me and I can hear her, so we're all right. But at any rate, so then we read Bill's story and you look at all the different things that Bill tried, and then we move into there is a solution, which is a really fun chapter. It's really really cool. So 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 cool and fun. And it's very upbeat. Yay, cool, there's a solution. Great, because it's all just been really heavy going up to that point. But the thing that we want to get in there is a solution, right? There's a couple of things you want to get there. So, again, remember, we're back on Roman numeral in doctor's opinion, Roman numeral 29. And the psychic change is referenced three different times on that page, okay? And... um, It's right in the middle of the paragraph. I'm going to read the paragraph. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem, again, I'm in doctor's opinion, Roman numeral 29, XXIX. That's in the fourth edition of the big book. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Yeah, it's called the 12 steps. Those are the few simple rules, right? And we didn't have the steps at that time, so what Silkworth was thinking about, write your stuff down, take responsibility, do, do good, recognize the truth of who you are, and go out and share it with people, right? That was kind of the gist of the, the rules then that have then grown into our 12 steps. And then he goes on to say, one feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change, right? And he says, it's one more place. Anyway, it's one other place. He references it on that page. The, the psychic change is the same vital spiritual experience that Carl Jung is referencing in There is a Solution on page 27. So now, right, now while they are in There is a Solution, I'm going to point that out to him. 
The psychic change is the same thing as there is uh, uh, the vital spiritual experience, and we get it clarified to us by one of the preeminent psychiatrists of the time. Yes, replied the doctor. I'm in the middle of the page on 27. There is exceptions because this is when after Roland Hazard asked him and said, is there any exception? Because Jung said, you know, I've been trying to really create this for you, but it hasn't been happening, and I think it's the only way it's going to work for you. And Roland Hazard says, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor. There is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of phenomena coming out of nowhere, seemingly from nowhere. For me, it's coming from God. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals of the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Right? So that guy needs that vital spiritual experience, which is the psychic change that Silkworth talks about. Okay? So we've got to pick you up, turn you around completely, set you back down, and you're seeing things completely differently. That's how you can end up in a situation where like, huh, okay, yeah, I will, I will write a, a, an apology letter for not forgiving the guy who molested me. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's what this process does and what it requires of us. Is it, it just, It's going to turn you inside out like a glove. You know, you ever taken off a glove and it's inside out and it just feels like, or like pulling a hermit crab out of a shell, like, mm. That's what it's going to feel like. But it doesn't, it doesn't last long. The feeling doesn't last long. And you're not doing it alone. And we're holding your hands. And there are plenty of people who've been on this path. You don't have to do this alone. But I think what you're going to find is that if you want the long-term recovery here and you don't want to come and go and come and go and come and go, and remember I got a lot of experience with that, you've got to really surrender completely. It's all about the surrender. And surrender is just, I'm out of good ideas. You know, a buddy of mine, he, he was an AA, and he was a World War II veteran, and he w- was shot down in the Pacific. And he was on an island with some guys and he knew a few words of Japanese and happily he knew the one word of Japanese that was very very important to him when all of a sudden there was a gun at his temple and a Japanese soldier was screaming surrender surrender in Japanese I don't know what the word is I got to find out it's better for the story but he's screaming surrender in Japanese and again my you know, the guy was drinking. I mean, he was a you know drinking alcoholic at the time. He wasn't sober then. But he says he flopped over on his back, and you know the guy followed him with the gun, put the head, you know, the hand to the temple again, and he's surrender, surrender. And the guy has his hands, you know, kind of his feet and his hands up in the air, and the guy's keeping the temple, the gun at the temple, and screaming surrender. And he said, 15 years later, when he came in Alcoholics Anonymous and needed to get the surrender in the first step, he knew it was that kind of surrender that he needed. Like, there's not an idea in my head. There is not a way out. That's the kind of surrender we need to have. You can't make anybody get that. But boy, when you've got it, it's a glorious thing. But that's the surrender we're looking for. Okay? 
So then, now they've just read There is a Solution, which is really great and it's so uplifting, and then we go back into more about alcoholism, right, which is the next step one. It's like, oh. Because it's so heavy again. It's just all the things. It's just saying, look, we just want to tell you again, in case you have any ideas that you can do this differently, it's not going to work. Here, in second paragraph, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. Mm-hmm. Continuing on, uh, over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Right. I mean, this is a really heavy chapter. This is the chapter we have about, you know, people who've lost their legs. This is the, you know, the... uh, you know, all the different things we try and do, the oaths, taking all the oaths. This is the guy who retired, you know, at, at 50 and then ended up drinking himself. To, I mean, it's a very, very heavy, heavy chapter. But it's just really bringing home the point. So that's you want somebody to get both the glory of step one and the real pain of step one. And you can't make anybody get there. You can't, you can't make anybody get there. That's why I'm giving them work on a daily basis. That's why they're sending me an email at night answering all those questions, who they made their outreach calls, not because they're checking in with mommy, but I'm supporting them and doing what they say they want to do at this point, which is something different than they've ever done before. So you're going to have to do something different, and I want to see, and I want you to see, sponsee of mine, and I want the God of your understanding to see that you really mean business, and we will know you mean business when you back it up with action. That's the deal, right? Oh, I missed something. Let's not forget this. This is a very important part on page 29. Hey, it's the first full paragraph on 29. Further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. These are followed by 42 personal experiences. Clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. You know, sometimes people will say to me, hey, you know, what about the whole suggestions things? It's all suggestions. Like I said, that didn't come till Bill wrote the 12 and 12. After he got hammered for 13 years, staying sober, but got hammered both by his depression, by his struggles with fidelity, right? I'm sure that didn't go over well with Lois, right? Just a whole host of things. And then he was really kind of deified in program and... Felt like he couldn't always go to meetings and stuff. You know, read some of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's cool. You know, AA comes of age, pass it on, Dr. Bob and the good old timers. Read that stuff. It's interesting stuff. But, you know, those were a hard 13 years. He got really softened up. The tone of the 12 and 12 is much different than the tone of the big book. It's much different. But And you can really see that when you look at it. But here it was very, very clear. Clear Clear-cut directions are given. So in the 12 and 12, he starts talking about suggestions, right? These, you know, we, these steps are just suggestions. So people will say, like, well, you know, what with the direction? What's with the directions? And I say, oh, gosh, let's turn to 29. Hmm, okay, clear-cut directions are given. But I say to him, I say, but look, you don't have to call them directions if you don't want to. No. Mm-mm. You call them suggestions if you want. I don't care. Call them suggestions. Call them butterflies. I don't care what you call them, right? All I know is I need you to do them. But if you want to call them suggestions, you call them a suggestion. That's fine. The expectation is that you're going to follow that suggestion, 
right? Because again, oh gosh, remember the paragraph at the page, top of page 96. It, what it's saying to me is that my job is to work with people who are, who are, you know, doing the work. Oh dear, how do we find a way to make this work? But if you want to call in suggestions, that's fine. But it's like I would say to somebody, if you fall in the pool and you don't know how to swim, I suggest you start moving your arms and your legs, right? It's a suggestion like that. It's like, get going. And again, this is just if you're in my boat. And do you see this, how I'm doing this all the time? There's never any my way or the highway. It's never like that. It's like, here's what I've found that works for me. Because again, chronic slippers, when somebody's just coming off sugar and stuff, man, they are angry. And it's funny. There's something about the eating disorder. We have this idea that like people will be like, I, you know, no, I'm fine. I haven't had sugar for five days. It's like, Imagine, again, go back to a heroin addict. Imagine a heroin addict saying, I'm fine. I haven't shot up for five days. I'm great. I'm great. It's crazy. It takes a long time to get that stuff out of your system. So people are, you know, really raw and really, you know, this is intense stuff. That's why I want to keep them moving so that we can go through this. You can get something else in your head. That's why they have to do a meeting a day because you need something else in your head. Your thinker is so broken. Your groove is so deep because you've been doing this for years. You know, again, when I came in, that would have worked for me to, to, to use that kind of abstinence, that direction woman gave me, that, the direction that woman gave me. Three meals and don't eat any sugar. That would have been fine. But I, I had to complicate it. I had to come up with a plan to the point where I really pushed it and created some problems, created some real health problems for me. You know, it's possible. Nobody knows conclusively, and it doesn't matter. My path is my path, and my path brought me here, and I like, you know, that I'm here. And that's fine. I don't look back with any regret. But I, what I say to people is don't do what I did. Stand on my shoulders. Take advantage of my experience and stand on my shoulders. You know, I love it. I love sponsoring, you know, people I mean, I, I sponsor older people, you know, and they always kind of come in droves. So I'll have like, you know, I'm sponsoring three 75-year-old women. It's funny. And they'll be on different, you know, I sponsor people all over the world and stuff because, you know, I get calls and things. And, and, you know, there'll be a woman in Maine and there'll be a woman in Spain. And, you know, they're both like 75 and they, you know, it's funny. And they have a lot of things in common. And then I get them talking to each other, making outreach calls. And inevitably, they never end up getting along. It's funny. They'll be like, why are you having me calling her? And I'm thinking because you're like twins. That's why. But, you know. <laughs> But, um, but anyway, so then we, you know, then we've done the, the more about alcoholism chapter and I say, cool, now you're on step two. Now we're going to do we agnostics. And I said, in we agnostics, you're going to read it twice. So they'll read it first time the first day. And I said, the first 15 minutes of writing, you're going to do that day. I want you to write on the conception of God that you have right now or the higher power. And here, let's have a little God conversation. I want to just stay conscious about the time here because we're done at 415. Is that right? 430? Okay, so at 4.15, I want to make sure we stop for our questions and stuff. But so now we got to have the God conversation. And it's funny. This is the first time I've ever sponsored a, uh, she thought she was an atheist, and she's, she up-leveled to agnostic, and now she realizes she believes in a, a different idea of God, but it's, it's something that's kind of, you know, she, we've found something that works for her. But we got to have that God conversation. It was never an issue for me, right? I was raised in a particular faith. I was raised in the Catholic faith. It was never an issue. It wasn't an issue with all the problems with the Catholic faith. It, it, for me, it was, it's never been an issue. I don't really practice in terms of going on a weekly basis, but it's a human institution with divine aspirations. They're going to screw up, just like I do. So no fair, no foul. I don't have a problem with it. 
But so I, I've never had an issue with the God thing, but a lot of people do. And the cool thing is it doesn't matter. You don't need it. All you need is a willingness to believe and a power greater than yourself. And that power greater than yourself can be anything. You know, I got a buddy who uses that uh, socket in the wall. He says, because if he takes his wife's hair dryer, dips it in a glass of water and sticks it in the wall, he'll experience a power greater than himself. <laughs> right? He will. And then, I, you know, I've got another friend who's a dyed in the wool, and he's been sober a long time, 30-something years, a dyed in the wool atheist. And, he, and he's a, also a Sierra Club member. And for him, God is G-O-D, get outdoors. That's God for him, right? That's terrific. What my sponsee is using now is love. She gets love. And I thought that was so beautiful. I mean, that was what I, you know, you love. You learn so much from your sponsees. You know, I don't sponsor my sponsees to, to get them abstinent. Don't have that power. Remember, if I did, my mom and my brother wouldn't be dead. Um, I sponsor them to, uh, to keep me abstinent, right? And I learned that from my sponsor. That's the most wonderful thing. I, and that seems so obvious. She said, do you think I could use love as my higher power? And I said, yeah, I think you could. I think you could, grasshopper. Good job. Good call, right? Yeah, for sure. So that's what she uses. So again, they read We Agnostics once, and that first day I want to know what your idea is of a higher power, and if you don't believe in it, and this is all nonsense, and you're an, and you're an atheist, give me that pitch for 15 minutes, right? 15 minutes of writing on a daily basis. The next day, I want you to write what would be the power that you would be willing to turn your will and your life over. Because you're going to have to, t- you, you're, we're, we're coming up on the third step, we're a day away, right? Because again, we don't take a long time with this. Why? Because you're going to finish the steps and do them again anyway. That's, that's what you're going to do. That's, what, that's how they do, well, no, I guess different people do different things. But that's what they do with me. And even though they're not going to continue with me, I'm going to, you know, encourage them. Because, you know, you're not going to be like a baby duckling following me around for the next 25 years. That's not how, what I do with my sponsees. And I don't have an opinion about people that do that, right? It's great. I mean, they save seats for them and stuff at meetings. That's cool. I need a few sponsees who would do that. But um, <laughs> I do have one. It's great. I take advantage of it for the short window of time, right? Send them to the popular meetings. And why don't you go there and save me a seat, William? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm like, great. Got about two more months of this before this is over. But, um, um, and then, so on that second day, they're reading that chapter again because it's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And it's really cool for me to be in that chapter because I really, I never struggled with God. And there's a lot of talk about atheism and agnosticism and stuff. So it's, it's very, very interesting. My, I'm actually on step two right now with my sponsor going through that chapter a page at a time. But then she has me read another page because I have to do two pages a day in the big book. But um, so the second day is you're, they're writing about what is a power that they would be willing to turn their will and their life over to. And if nothing else, you can use the power of the group, right? So then we get to um, step three. Now, the interesting thing is, and sometimes I do this, it, the reality is step two actually continues beyond we agnostics, and it's also 58 to the middle of page 60. So the how it works that we read at the begin- in meetings, you know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path, all the way down to A, B, and C, that we were alcoholics and could not manage our own lives, that probably no human power could have relieved our compulsion or alcoholism, see that God couldn't would if he were sought. And then it says, the next line is, being convinced we were at step three. So being convinced that you have to do all those things to get that restoration to sanity in step two, that's also step two. 
So sometimes I forgot that. Sometimes I'll actually have the people, after they've read We Agnostics twice, I'll have them read from 58 to 60, middle of 60, at the end of ABC, and write for another for a third day on what the restoration to sanity to you means. That's right, I do that. I write about what that restoration to sanity is. Because the cool thing about restore, being restored to sanity, it's, it's actually two very cool things. It, using the word restore, it means that at one point you were sane. So that's good. So this might be an easier journey than you thought, getting back to that. But the other thing is sanity. That's nice to know. That's good to know. That means what's going on with you right now. Because, again, if they're working with me, they're only on day five or six at this point. Where you're at right now is insane. The idea that your life has gotten to the point where you have to send an email to a virtual stranger every night telling me all these myriad things you've done and you're going to a meeting every day, this is where your life got you. This is where food got you. The longer you stay here and you keep doing it, the smaller your life gets. Isn't that ironic? Right? The smaller your life gets. Your choices get smaller and smaller and smaller. Because if you're a woman and you, you know, get to a certain weight, right, there are fewer shops you can shop in, right? I got a buddy who still struggles. He's a long time here, but he hasn't, he's not done, so he, and he's not ready to feel the feelings. And he's a long time sober in AA. He's a good friend, and he's starting to call me, and we're having conversations. Not that I would sponsor him, but he, we're having some good conversations. And he's getting it that maybe he is more ready to feel feelings. But he just, he's, you know, wealthy and travels a lot, and he's got to buy two plane tickets, you know. So your choices get fewer and fewer and fewer. Your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so what I tell people is in our sponsorship relationship, I'm going to replicate what the world's going to do anyway, is that as you continue to push the boundaries, your world is going to get smaller and smaller. Your choices will get fewer and fewer. This is the price you're paying. Because the thing about a chronic slipper who's doing this over and over and over again, they don't have a clue about the price that they're paying. They don't. And sometimes they do, they get a sense of it, and they say, yeah, but it's my life. I can do what I want. The problem is you're not the only one being affected by your eating disorder. Not a, clo not a chance. Everybody in my life got affected gets affected by what I put in my mouth. They do. They just do. That's just the reality. And in abstinence, I can make choices that aren't great choices, right? Even now, like I didn't, I forgot to do my lunch. I haven't eaten since 7 o'clock this morning. My blood sugar's tanking, right? But that's fine. I know how to turn on the juice. I'll be fine. And I'm, I'm fine. I'm real clear. But th there is a price, Everybody gets affected by what I'm doing around my eating or not doing. So let me be very conscious about that because, again, that's part of the selfishness it talks about in here. It says that's our problem, right? Selfishness, self-centeredness. That is the root of our problem. That's it. And part of that problem is not knowing my value and thinking that it's okay. I can do whatever I want. It's my life. Mind your own business. No. No. Nope, nope, nope. That's not how it goes. So... Then they're on step three, and this is exciting. This is my favorite step, and there's only three pages in the book, and we'll do this one day. It's from the middle of 60 to the bottom of 63, and I say pay attention to the paragraph at the top of page 63. This is my favorite paragraph in the big book, my very, very favorite paragraph. Okay, 
And it says, when we sincerely took such a position, and the antecedent in the paragraph before is that God's in charge. We are not, right? God is the director. He's the principal. We're the agents. God's the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this is the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Basically, God's in charge. I'm not. And again, put outside, put it, put in, if, if the God word is uncomfortable for you, put in whatever you want. Love's in charge. Love will triumph in the end. Light over darkness, right? If your thing is nature, right, the mountain is always going to win, right? Nature's always going to win. If it's going to, you know, somebody said to me once something about, well, you know, what do you mean about nature? You know, man, I don't get it. And I said, well, it's going to rain tomorrow. Prevent it. You know? So that's in charge. So put in whatever you need, but whatever it is, this power greater than you, it's in charge. It's running the show. So now the paragraph, now you know that's the antecedent. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. And all I got to do is be out of good ideas, which are not good ideas at all, right? And let God be God. And listen to that. I'm going to be free of fear today, tomorrow, in the future, and in the hereafter. Whatever that means. That's pretty powerful. Right? And now, we were now at step three. Right? And then we do the third step prayer. And when I did this the first time with my sponsor, uh, the first time I ever did this, took a third step, we got down on our knees. Right? And she was a big woman, my sponsor. She was still struggling with her weight. But I never, I don't choose sponsors based on what they weigh. I choose on sponsors based on how spiritual they are that's that's what i'm interested in and you know most of the time my sponsors are at a healthy weight but you know some of them haven't been not my business my sponsor now the one i you know kind of struggles with her weight a little bit not my business doesn't have anything to do with me i love her and she's a spiritual giant in my mind she has what i want and she's more loving and more more evolved than anybody i know really other than my husband so you know I love her. But anyway, we this first sponsor, we got down on our knees and took a third step together, right? Then we get to the fourth step. Yay! So now they're going to do a fourth step, and we're going to do a fourth step as it's outlined in the big book. And there's different formats you can get. People, there are different templates that are flying around. And, you know, I have a template. There's myriad templates out there. But it's basically outlining that four-column inventory. And it goes, there are three parts to a big book inventory. And, again, they're going to have two weeks to do this inventory. Three parts to a big book inventory. There's the resentment part. There's the fear part, and the fear part is interesting because you actually do the fifth step as soon as you take that part of the big book inventory. As soon as you write down that list of fears, it says give them away. You take a fifth step, and you ask God to remove them. They want to get fear. It's interesting that they want to get fear cleared out right away. So that comes right when you do that part of the big book inventory. And then the third part is the sex inventory. And you got to love that the sex inventory starts on page 69, Right. But um, so there's those three parts of the of the big book inventory. And again, when we get bless you and when you are doing the the big book inventory, you've got the we've got the the um, on 65. You've got the illustrated 
point where it's talking about the I'm resentful at the cause and affects my. But if you turn the page on 67, in the middle of 67, here's where it's outlining to you the fourth column of the inventory. Referring to our list again, this is the list we made from page 65. And again, if people are working with me, I've sent them a template. All they're doing is checking boxes, right? I, res- I mean, they have to write down, I resent Joe molesting me when I was a kid or whatever they're writing down, right? I resent so-and-so affected me. And then they're checking bo- or, or uh, the cause. What is the cause that I resent this person and then affected me? They're just checking boxes. But the fourth column, which is where this is the this is the gravy on the mashed potatoes, I'll tell you. Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others to it, uh, others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, like getting molested, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? I was in no way responsible for the fact that I was molested, right? Make no mistake. And I make sure that everybody, just about everybody that I sponsor has been molested, men and women. And it's even gotten to the point now where people that I sponsor, I've sponsored a, you know, a couple men who are actually molesters, right? I've sat and I've listened to fist steps with you know, one guy in particular from a couple of years ago who was a chronic molester, right? And I saw him with the eyes of love, right? It, that's what God can do. You think it's a big deal to be working in a bakery and not eating sugar? Try listening to a fist up of a molester when you've been molested and feeling only love and great compassion and real clarity about the fact that somebody hurt him. That's where it all got birthed. That's what I'm talking about. That's much more interesting than showing up at a high school reunion being a size four. That's much more interesting, much more interesting. The least interesting transformation that happened to me is what happened to my body. That's the least interesting transformation. The, this, this is the real deal. That my heart has been opened, right? That I can love and I can forgive and I can carry a message and see somebody with great, great compassion. That's the deal. That's the prize, right? That's where you want to get. So it's telling me here, right? Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So that's the fourth column. Very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Then it goes on to talk about the word fear, right, and how fear is what screws us up. And again, so on page 68, we have the fear part of the big book inventory. It says we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them. Now, before we get back into the the fear part, let me just finish with resentment. Because again, there's not a lot of information here. And the truth is, there's some parts that are missing here. Because in that resentment part, you have all the people or places or, or institutions, principles, things you resent. Like somebody might resent, for instance, something as... Uh, innocuous as Madison Avenue, because Madison Avenue promotes this idea that this is what beauty looks like, right? This is what she looks like. So that, you know, I've had people do that kind of resentment. I resented at, you know, the particular university as an undergrad when I was applying in high school, didn't get into this university. So it's different things, you know, different places you resent, different things, different institutions, ideas, etc. right? The belief that, uh, 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 a woman over, you know, 40 has lost her value. Whatever it is, right? All those things, you get that stuff down. But that's not the only place to stop in terms of an inventory. Then I've also got to address the idea 
that there might be people out there who are resenting me, right? Like I told you, I did a lot of stealing. I stole from employers. I stole from my parents. I stole from friends. I stole from fast food restaurants when I worked there. I did a lot of stealing. So then what I tell people, once we've done the resentment, before we move on to the fear, who might resent you? Let's get that stuff down. Who might resent you? So I don't, there's not even a template for that. And I don't know enough about, you know, Excel to create one. But the reality is that's, that's again, where we are dependent upon good sponsorship. You need a lineage of good sponsorship. People who really can give you very clear direction. Very rarely do I step outside of the, of the, the realm of what this book directs me to do, but there's no place in the big book inventory that says where, that I'm supposed to list all the people that I stole from. I, most people that I've worked with have stolen. So then that, that's another thing, as I say. It's like, do you, have you done any stealing? Is there any stealing that's happened? Get that down. Money or property. Stuff, did you ever take anything that doesn't belong to you? Right? Are you doing goofy stuff, you know, with time, with your time clock at work? You know, there's a great story. I, I, I want to save it because we won't have time. So at any rate, so then they, they, but if I can get to it, I'll get to it. This is an amazing story. Magazines. I'm just going to write that word down. Okay. So then they do the, the sex inventory part. Same thing there. When you get to that fourth column, you're looking for, they just, the, the word that they add is, um, uh, uh, so it's selfish, you know, fearful, dishonest, and it's also inconsiderate. They add inconsiderate, you know, and you're looking for that in the fourth column, finding out, you know, where were you inconsiderate in this relationship? And then we sit down for a fifth step. And usually what happens is what I give people, when I start them working on a fourth step, I actually give them a date to read the fifth step. We actually schedule our fifth step when they start their fourth step. So then they know, wow, I got two weeks. Yikes. And I say to them, and if you get done early, we can move it ahead. And once in a while that happens. Not often, but once in a while. But they just know. Somebody's got to know when you're going to be reading this because you don't want to miss out on that part of it. The book is, you know, really specific in saying that if you don't give this away, this isn't going to bode well for you. Into action. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? Uh, this brings us the fifth step in the program of recovery. Um, and... You know, the best reason first at the bottom of that page, if we skip this vital step, the fifth step, we may not overcome drinking. Well, I don't want to take that chance, right? So I just make it real clear that we're doing that. So then they read the fifth step material, which is to the end of page 75. And then we're on step six and seven, where you've got a whole two paragraphs in the big book, right? For steps six and seven. So at the top of page 76, and again, because the my creator prayer says my creator, which is the second paragraph of that six and seven material, it says, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character. But it's talking about the good and the bad. So what that brings home to me, again, I don't get a lot of direction here, do paragraphs, so what the, the, I don't even know if a sponsor had me do this, but what I started doing with my sponsees, and I've since done it, when I told my sponsor and she said, that's a good idea, why don't you do it? I write a list of my character defects and you have to have as many as, assets. Because the reality is, one of the big character defects for us here in program is we don't know our value. Low self-esteem, that's a character defect. I remember the day somebody said that to me and that hit me like a mallet. 
Because I thought there was some kind of nobility in it. I was kind of stuck in some Catholic martyrdom stuff, right? And I kind of thought not knowing my value was pleasing to God. It ain't. I don't do anybody any favors in the world by not knowing my value as a child of God, right? How can I be of loving service to you and, you know, God in me and as me? That's, that, I, I do better in the world. Everybody wins when I know my value. Just like everybody, you know, everybody wins when Sheila's been to a meeting. So, um, you know, my husband especially. You know, when, on our honeymoon, I went, to, I went to a meeting every single day of our honeymoon, and I came back and I was telling people, and they, and they were saying, oh, my God, how did your husband, your new husband feel about that? And I said, are you, I'm like, are you kidding? My husband's like, oh, baby, sure, you want to go to a meeting? Sure, let me, let me get you in the car. You know, let me, I'll give you a piggyback ride there. Anything you want, baby. Everybody wins when I've been to a meeting, right? And, you know, every, everybody wins when I know my value as a child of God. So write down character defects and assets. You have to have as many assets as defects. Then I'll tell them, again, nothing in the book. We depend on sponsorship. Um, I have them highlight what are the five default character defects and the five default assets. So we know that where you're going to go when you get off the beam, right? So that you, Because that's valuable information. Then we get to step eight, right? And in step eight, it's talking about, it says we made our eight-step list and we took our four-step. So that tells me every name on my list, on my four-step, is going to be on my eight-step list. That's how I ended up. Remember my big ticket item, the molestation? That's how I got to the point where I realized I, I was directed to write a letter to that guy. Dear Joe, here's, here's, the, here's the three parts of the letter. I forgive you, and this is somebody who done me wrong, right? I forgive you for, and name the item. Two, please forgive me for not having forgiven you of that. And then third thing is, write something loving and wonderful about that person. Broaden your perspective. They're more than this horrible thing that they did to me. And that's really good for me to get that. And then sign it as high as you can go, and you can't go higher than love. So I always sign my letters, love, Sheila. Because, again, 12-step programs are a behavioral approach. It's a behavioral cognitive uh, therapeutic approach. You take the behavior, you act your way into right thinking. You do the actions, and your thinking will change. You will have a vital spiritual experience or psychic change or spiritual experience. They're all the same thing. You'll have that if you do this. So I take the actions. So that's step eight and nine, right? Then I'm on 10. Now this is cool because step 10 starts on page 84. And I was sober 22 years. And again, I was directed to read two pages a day of this book and I don't argue with sponsors or cops. So I've been doing it for years. And so I've been through this book probably 45 times maybe when this got pointed out in my 22nd year of sobriety that this thought brings us to step 10 which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. I'm going to skip down now through that paragraph. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, now here are the four steps that it tells you to do for a spot check 10-step inventory. If you're working the steps as they're outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 10-step is not something you do at night. That's actually an 11th step. You do both the 11th step at night, and then you get, it, get up the next morning and do on awakening. Now, it doesn't matter what you call it. 
right? It doesn't matter, but just it's just fun to kind of look at it and see that how things shifted around. By the time 13 years later, Bill got the 12 and 12 out, a 10-step was a thing that you did at night. It's not in this book. A 10-step is something you do during the day anytime you get off the beam. And here are the four steps. And get these down and then check it out in your books when you get home. Paragraph in the middle of page 84. When you get off the beam, there are four things you do. My little acronym for remembering this, God makes apples sweet. God makes apples sweet. The first one is God. You ask God to remove it. So uh, let's say I've mouthed off to the, the woman in Macy's, right? Or no, let me save the Macy's one. Actually, and that's so great. I've had to make so many, not so many, but, you know, half dozen amends to women in Macy's. And no, it is, you know, I mean, it's a sale and I'm impatient and why are you taking so long? And then I get mouthy. And when you apologize to somebody in a Macy's, it's amazing. They like want to send you home with prizes. They like want to put stuff in your bag. I mean, cause I'll say, Oh, you know, forgive me. I apologize. My Lord. I just, I was so impatient and I just spoke unkindly to you. Um, no, really. Uh, uh, it's okay. It's okay. I say, no, it's actually not okay for me to talk to you like that. Forgive me. And I'm not kidding you. Like I said, they want to throw freebies in the bag. Cause, and I worked in retail. So I get that years ago. Um, but it's a really holy thing that we, we get to apologize. It's a really cool thing. So that's just a little subset. But okay, so God makes apple sweet. So the first thing, so let's say I get angry and I'm pissed off. Or, or fear, health fears. That used to be an issue that would show up for me, health fears, right? That's a big one. So, and it feels like, you know, I'm caught up and all of a sudden it's, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I think... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is probably time to take a 10th step, right? That's that cognitive shift, cognitive behavioral approach. But I'm going to do it cognitively, realizing, oh my gosh, my thinking's off. Let me adjust. It's time for a 10th step. And then let me do the behaviors. I ask God to remove it. So it's, God, please remove my fears. I got some health fears going on. God, that's the first part of it. God makes apple sweet. The M, man, share it with another man or woman. Again, it, le- it outlines these steps in that paragraph. You'll see it. So I share it with somebody else. So I pick up the phone, right? Hey, 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 Natalie, it's Sheila making a quick outreach call. You got a minute? Yeah, sure. What's up? You know, I just need to do a 10 step. I got some health fears, some stuff going up and just need to share it with somebody. Oh, Sheila, what's going on? Oh, thanks, Natalie. I don't even need to get into the story. Sorry. You know, thank you so much. I appreciate your concern. I'm good. I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Great. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah. See you tomorrow at the meeting, right? Click. Share it with another person. God makes apples. A. The A is make amends if necessary, it says. Well, potentially and usually, I, I, I haven't harmed anybody else, including myself. Because there are things, there are certainly things I can do besides eating to harm myself, right? I used to be a face picker. I used to pick my face. I can get in a fight with my husband. I can, um, uh, you know, start driving around and tr- trying to pretend I can drive and text at the same time, right? That's... Right? That's self-hating and, quite frankly, all of you hating, right? So, you know, there are things I can do to punish myself. But if I haven't, you know, you can skip that step. It says make amends if necessary. And there's a good chance that I haven't. I've been able to. I'm pretty good at this now, right? I'm, I'm pretty good. And there's a, there's a good chance I haven't hurt anybody because I'm, I'm pissed off or hurt or sca- scared or whatever it is. I haven't done any damage. But then, so it's God makes apple sweet. So the S is service. And the direction I was given by the first sponsor I had who pointed this out to me at my 22 years of sobriety is that 12-step service doesn't count, which I thought was ludicrous. 
But again, don't argue with cops or sponsors. So I said, okay, great. And I've just taken that and run with that since. And she's, that woman's not my sponsor anymore. Hasn't been for a long time. But um, it didn't work out for us to call. She was in another part of the country. So, but she gave me, that was a wonderful gift, and I held on to that. That makes sense to me. 12-step service doesn't count. Why? I get a payoff with 12-step service. I get another day of abstinence, right? I get another moment of clarity. I get another spiritual awakening. So I'm kind of a litter picker-upper, right? I live across the street from a park. I pick up litter in the park. I pick up other animal, you know, people's pets, dog doo-doo, right? Because I'm not doing that for, for, for them. I'm actually doing it for God and the ocean, right? So um, um, that's, that's been a really cool thing for me, right? So there are four steps. Now think about that. Again, I was a, I'm a card-carrying member here. I've been doing the deal here for a long time, and at 22 years of sobriety, that got pointed out to me. And I know that I'm not the only one who doesn't know because there are plenty of people I call when I say, oh, it's uh, uh, Meg, it's Sheila, just doing a quick 10-step. You got time? Uh, yeah. <laughs> people have no idea what I'm talking about. This is one of those things. If you are very practically doing exactly what it asks you to do in the book, you will get free. I just had this happen. What was it? It was something. I don't know if it was a fear thing or whatever where I would have. Oh, I know. I was the Midwestern trip when I was home with the pie show and my family. There were two times where I felt like, well, I'm going to have to kill myself. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to have to do it because I can't live. I can't live with this pain. And I thought, Oh, wow. <laughs> Time for a 10-step, <laughs> right? And it, it just changed everything in moments. So, like, I started, you know, in one place. In three minutes, I was in a completely different place. Well, what does, how does that affect a life if you can do that? That's amazing. That's amazing. Are you starting to get it where they say you can be recovered here? Who does that? I, I, you know, I, I know people that I love in, not, not as much in here, I guess I don't see it, but I see it a lot in AA, people with long-time sobriety who are angry people, you know? I don't think, they're probably not beating the wife and kicking the dog anymore, but they're still angry people. That's not how it's supposed to be. Happy, joyous, and free is not something you put on a bumper sticker, right? It's not. It's a reference on page 130, it's 133 or 134. I think it's 133. Happy, joyous, and free. You get free of your fears and your anger and resentment. That's happy, joyous, and free. And until you're, and if you're not doing this, don't put a 12-step bumper sticker on your car. Don't. If you're still flipping people off and raging in your car, <laughs> don't carry that message for real. You know what I mean? Don't carry that message out in the world. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. There's enough nitwit celebrities who are breaking traditions and, you know, outing themselves as members and then going and drinking again, doing funky stuff. You know, we are, you know, it's, it's our program. It's ours to carry into the next, you know, the next century and things and to keep it going. So, you know, do the deal. Yep. Great. And we'll get to ask it basket. And then we get to, um, you know, you have your step 11. I just want to get to the question. Step 11, um, you know, and, and it's the, um, uh, it's the page 86 through 88 blitz. It says, pay attention to what you're doing at night and look at what you're doing in in the morning on awakening. You can go through and look at the underline the specific things it directs you to do. And then um, and then we're back to step 12 again, right? Working with others. So then the sponsee reads that chapter. Now, two months, three months later, they're reading that chapter from a much different perspective. 
because they are now reading it from the perspective that, gosh, I get this. I understand this. And they've probably been sponsoring somebody by that point, right? Because, again, I push that because we don't want you to miss out on that. And that's the 12 steps as they're outlined in the book, okay? So now we're going to look at ask it basket stuff. Why didn't your... Oh, okay. Mm, mm. Oh, this is cool. This is a good question. Why didn't your core problems come out in your first, fourth, and fifth steps with your sponsor? Because it didn't. The stuff will come up when you're ready for it to come up. And, there, yeah, there's, that, there's no such thing as you don't have to do a thorough inventory. You don't have to. That's the good news knowing I'm going to be hitting this again. There's no pressure. That's why I tell people we're taking two weeks with this. You're going to be doing this again. If it's ready to come up, it'll come out. You don't have to be in charge. Me wanting things to come up, core issue, why didn't it come up? That's me being in charge. That doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. What, if anything, pushes you close to the edge, and how do you step back to safety? Tenth step. Lots of things push me to the edge. I get afraid of fear stuff. I get, a, I get um, angry re- really easily. You know, those character defects I talked about, my defaults are anger, judgment, uh, being critical. You know, uh, my husband, I, I swear to God, though, everything would be great if my husband would just consistently put a napkin in his lap. Really. <laughs> really. Really. But, you know, can't control him. Go to Al-Anon. But lots of things set me off. Lots of things set me off. And I'll tell you, it's not the big things. I can drop a transmission on the 405 in traffic and I'm fine, but break a shoelace and somebody's going down. Right? So it's the little things. It's the little things that get me going. But I do not lose sight of the fact that that 10th step, that spot check inventory 10th step and those four steps, ask God to remove it, share it with another person, make amends if necessary, and get into service have saved my life. Right? After 30 years of program, you can get immune to literature, uh, to literature meetings, and how do you bring newness to your program? I sponsor a lot of people, and I go to a lot of meetings, and I do H&I in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, come to, to, come to H&I. Go to open Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I would recommend that to anybody who's getting jaded. Hospitals and institutions. There is nothing more fundamental in Alcoholics Anonymous. It is carrying the message of AA into hospitals and institutions. Right? It's amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible. I wish I had time to talk about uh, Los Angeles H&I. It's incredible. I've had a panel for four and a half years. It's in a women's recovery center. These are women who've served in the military. And uh, these are women who have t- you know, tend to struggle with sobriety, have for a long time, economically challenged. And they are women who are willing to put their lives on the line so I could you know, blather around and run to meetings and you know, still keep slipping and sliding like I was doing for years. And they were, they were out there making themselves available. So I get to show up every month and, and carry a meeting in. So it's carrying that message into hospitals and institutions. And we have H&I that goes on in OA. Depending on where you are, we're trying to get it up and running in uh, Los Angeles. But, uh, you know, carrying it into recovery centers, hospitals, things like that. Yep, yep. Colleges. I, you know, I go and speak in colleges and high schools and stuff like that. That's a cool thing. Talk about eating disorders. Yes, I will share my phone number. Do you think it's cool to share it on the thing? I always usually do. Is that cool to somebody who's in charge? Don't do it. Very good. See me afterwards. I'll give you my number. Okay. Yep. Anybody can have my number. How long have you been in program? I've been in program. I came in in February of 1988. So that was my 27th year. 
Uh, how many sponsors have I had? I had a lot of sponsors. I would say probably 30 sponsors because um, I'm an adult children of alcoholics. Even though my parents weren't alcoholics, it's, you know, grandchildren. I'm a grandchild of alcoholics. One of the, the classic things that they identify in the ACA program is a cutting and running, right? Cutting and running. Talked with somebody on the break about this, somebody who had an idea that, you know, oh, I need to make a shift with my sponsorship. My recommendation to anybody, because people call me all the time, oh, you know, we sponsor me i want to get a new sponsor first of all i never sponsor anybody when they say they want to get a new sponsor they've got a sponsor but they gotta let that sponsor go and have me sponsor them i think oh no 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 that is such a set that is such a tunnel with no cheese absolutely not right no way because they're missing the very point anybody can help you it's you know unless you have a sponsor who's berating you and you probably have more tools in your kit and you don't have that going on Right, unless you have somebody who's being unkind, or you know, if somebody you know is going through health issues and they're not available, that's another thing. I mean, you know, then you can probably work that out. But um, but stay with the sponsor that you have and work it out. Work out your stuff. Again, when I'm fine, you're all fine. If I'm not late, you're all driving fine. Right. But if I'm late, it's, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's the one on the right, let's go. And all of a sudden, I'm talking like I'm from Joyce. You know, it's like, where did, how did I get here? I'm from Lansing, Michigan, you know. Um, so, so, yes, stay. My strong suggestion to anybody is stay with your sponsor and work it out with your sponsor. Work it out. Work the steps. It's your problems that you're, nobody can heal anybody here. A, B, and C. Probably no human power could, right? When a sponsor stop, when a sponsee stops calling, how do you deal with this issue? We kind of talked about this on the break. I'll call somebody, and I'll. It doesn't happen to me. I'll be honest; it doesn't happen to me. It doesn't. It just doesn't happen. But um, people will quit, and they'll usually quit with a text. Don't end a sponsorship relationship with a text <laughs> or an email. Don't do that. No, really. I know it's funny, but don't do it for real. And you cannot know how many times that happens. I feel like I need to have people sign a waiver when we start working together. (laughs) That if they're going to leave, give me the dignity of a phone call. Give yourself the dignity of a phone call, right? But, um, But if somebody stops calling, you know, I might call them once or twice. There's no rules with this. I know that I make sure that somebody understands that our relationship is not conditional on your participation in Overeaters Anonymous. We can still be buddies. Let's go to lunch together. You don't want to be in OA together? I don't care. Let's go to lunch. You eat what you want. I know what I'm going to eat. If you eat macaroni and cheese and hot fudge sundae, it's not going to affect my day. Possibly going to affect yours, but that's not my business, right? Not my business at all. Um, No, I don't eat artificial sweeteners at all. I don't chew gum. I don't drink sodas. Those days are over. You know, a duck is a duck. I, um, I just don't do it. I don't do agave. I don't do maple syrup. I don't do honey. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And stevia has not been a problem because I think stevia tastes so dreadful. I can't believe anybody would even want to have it around. <laughs> but um, but it, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. You know, I, and it's, sometimes I'll go to events and people will say, oh, that's so sad. You don't, eat, you don't eat sweet, you know, you don't eat sweet stuff. I say, wow, have you, have you never had a peach in July? ever been to Michigan and had an apple in the fall? You know, there's a lot of sweet stuff out there. You stop eating the, the sweets, which don't work for me. I also am not a sugar basher. It just doesn't work for me. But when I stop eating that stuff, other things taste richer and more interesting anyway, you know. 
I'm, I'm really into balsamic seasoned uh, uh, balsamic vinegars, which are just amazing. My sister had been pushing this to me for a long time, and I just thought, no thanks. She was like, oh, you should try it. I'm like, uh, no. And, and now I'm really turned on to balsamic vinegar. I just drove 30 miles down to Torrance the other day to, to get just all kinds of balsamic vinegar. My husband's like, really? I'm like, really? Really? Uh, how do you know when you're ready to sponsor? You're ready to sponsor when your sponsor directs you to sponsor. Otherwise, after you've done a third step, I think, and if not, definitely by the time you've done a fifth step. And check it out with your sponsor. Remember, your sponsor's direction is always more important than any, you know, you know thing I'm saying. Um, always, right? I, that's when people will call and say, oh, I want to hear your thoughts about this. I'm like, I'll give you my two cents, probably about what it's worth. But at the end of the day, these are just my thoughts. Do whatever your sponsor says. Whatever your sponsor says is the right thing, right? Uh, do you still eat for, okay, so now these are old questions. They were such good questions. We're going to answer them again. No, those are the questions from the first group. So that, that was all we had there. So yeah, that, that's the big thing. I'll just close as we're heading home on this. Just, I, I would really invite you to, um, see it as a real opportunity with your sponsor. If you're struggling in your relationship with your sponsor, or if you, a lot of times people will call and you know their sponsor's not giving them direction and stuff, and they ask, they need a new sponsor because you know they hear that you know my workshops, I give people stuff to do, and I'm not available, and what can they do? And I say, ask your sponsor. Be in conversation with your sponsor. Be in the relationship. You are actually, real transference is going to happen in an effective sponsorship relationship. And you're going to start practicing the patterns that you're practicing out in the world. Just like whatever behavior you've got going on with food is the same behavior that you're practicing out in the world. So if you're goofing around with food and you're being dishonest and, you know, you're, whatever you're doing with your food, you're doing out in the world. You're doing it in every area of your life. That's why I tell people, you can eat whatever you want, but let's stop lying about it. And if you're going to be recording your food, you're going to have to include the, the measurements, we're going to have to wham it while we're looking at this. Am I going to be whamming and weigh, weighing and measuring for the rest of my life? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe not. But I am today. I weigh and measure my food. I don't weigh and measure in restaurants. I don't weigh and measure in anybody's home. I usually weigh and measure most of the time in my house. But I know what, I know what a, a portion of beef looks like. Right? It's like a deck of cards. I know because I used to eat 16-ounce ribeyes. It's like four decks of cards. Right? So, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to look at something you haven't been looking at because I don't have any constraints with anybody, though I'll tell you, I am in this, I am in this place trying to figure out right now. I don't sponsor people who still want to keep eating sugar. I just can't get in that ring. It's, I'm already working with the hard cases and my sponsor supports me on this, but, um, I don't know if I'll always do that, but right now I don't sponsor people if they're eating sugar. If you want to eat sugar, i got to help you find someone else. But otherwise, you can eat whatever you want, but you can't, you know, and you're going to be sending me the email, but you can't tell me, oh, I had a, 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 a cheeseburger and a bag of Doritos, because I don't know if that Doritos is the one you got at 7-Eleven or the one you got at Costco, right? <laughs> so you gotta, you got to write it down, and it's not about shaming. It's actually the exact opposite. It's the liberation of writing it down. You can do whatever you want to do as long as you're willing to pay the price. And if you eat a bag of Doritos from Costco, 
there's going to be a price, right? And it's going to be involved bathroom trips, lots of them, in about two and a half days. So, you know, it's just like let's stop lying about this stuff and don't run away is my suggestion from a runner who's saying, don't do what I did, stand on my shoulders, don't leave the sponsorship relationship you have. Stay there and work it out. If you are struggling, if something feels uh, unsettling, if you want more, if you want more of his or her time, ask for it. You might not get it, but that will be a big part of your healing to say, hey, Meg, you know what, I love working with you, but gosh, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm feeling like maybe I'm not doing enough step work, and it's probably my fault because I haven't been showing up, but I'd like to show up more effectively for you. What, what, would you like me doing something on a daily basis or you know, three times a week or something? I feel called to something more, and I want to take, Meg, I want to take greater and greater advantage of your wisdom. I know we have a hard time reaching each other. Do you think we could schedule a call a couple times a week? Don't leave and say, I heard somebody, and she does this, and five times to the response, and I need 300 minutes or, or, or a month or a bust. Don't do that, right? But meet your sponsor. Find out what you can do to get more of this. And I would just encourage you to not run. It doesn't work. It didn't solve my problems. It doesn't work. So... We're really lucky what we have here. If you're not reading two pages a day in this, start today. Start reading this. This is your primary source material. And as I really close now, when you get to the stories, what I direct my sponsees to do is find two things. Find the step one moment and the step three moment in the story. Find that place where the person realizes, oh my God, I'm in over my head and I can't, this is, it wins. It's more powerful than me. Booze or alcohol, or yeah, in our case, in this book, alcohol is more powerful than me. And find the step three moment when they surrender. Because those are the moments you want chronic slippers to pay attention to. When are they getting it that they're in over their head and you can't make somebody know that? And when is that moment when they're willing to surrender to something greater than themselves, right? And let it be love and let it lead by example and just just love them. Love the people who are struggling. It's very, very painful to struggle. I know this well. So that's what we're being called to here. We really are. Never lose sight of the people that had their hands up. And let's just do it one last time in this meeting Raise your hand if you're not abstinent and struggling and want to be. These are your people. See those people. And I guarantee there's more. And that's fine. It's fine that you didn't raise your hand. But those are your people. That's what we do here. My primary purpose is to stay abstinent and help others achieve abstinence. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Serenity prayer. prayer. Okay. They're probably going to be wow. anti. <laughs>